0: Hello, music enthusiasts, and welcome to a special edition of the Sound Encounters podcast, a music podcast where I explore new and classic releases, different genres, and your favorite artists and bands. I'm your host, Cesar Torres. Thank you for joining me today. It's, it's the holiday season. When this episode comes out, it'll or this rerun I should say I don't want to call it a full-blown episode I'm not going to label it the number give it the number 30 because this is just a rerun which I'll explain in a bit although that's pretty self-explanatory um but yes when this comes out it'll be Christmas day December 25th um so I hope you're having a wonderful holiday I hope you're enjoying some time with family, with close ones. Uh, If you can't, then I hope you are finding other ways to enjoy this holiday as it's, you know, it's not not typical of what we uh, expect from our holiday season given, you know, coronavirus. But either way, I'm hoping you're having a wonderful holiday. So last week, I decided that I wanted to take a little break from Sound Encounters, a little holiday break for myself while I recuperate, while I write up some more Sound Encounters episodes. And during the break, I didn't want to leave the Sound Encounters podcast just bare, just empty. So I decided that I was going to do some reruns and air past episodes of Sound Encounters, although I am not airing an entire episode of sound encounters what i want to do instead was air a little specific segment from or as i like to call them features i should say a feature from a past sound encounters episode so this episode comes from back in august when i talked about post-punk yes that's right this first rerun is the what is post-punk segment and I know I did it back in August, and I think that was mainly due to uh, I, for whatever reason, was really into post punk back in August. I guess, I mean, I still am into post punk, but my interest levels for post punk is at its peak around this time of the year, around winter, when it's all cold and snowy. As I think it's a more appropriate in the autumn or winter time, especially when it comes to some of the dark lyrics, the lethargic delivery, and menacing instrumentals. That is often typical of post-punk music, especially the five albums that I talked about back in August. So that is what this rerun is about. I don't remember what the past week in music was back in that episode. But if you are curious, you could always just listen to the What Is Post-Punk episode that I did back in August. I think it must have been in the uh, early or late uh teens around like I don't know 18 19 um I feel like I should know this hold on we're gonna go back and we're gonna see if I'm right or wrong let's see here let's see here number 12 what is post-punk I mean at least it wasn't around in the 20s I was I was pretty close I'd say enough rambling let's get into this rerun which is what is post-punk where past me past Caesar Torres talks about five albums to get you into post-punk enjoy Hello and welcome back to Sound Encounters. Before the break, I had promised we were going to go over post punk, what that is, and five essential albums in that genre. So, what is post punk? Post punk is a subgenre of punk music that emerged around the mid to late 70s. While it is inspired by punk's energy and DIY ethic, the musical focus is a lot different from punk rock. For starters, a lot of post-punk bands use the bass guitar as its lead instrument as seen with bands like of 4 and Public Image Limited. That pulsating sound and rhythm from the bass and drums are a prominent staple in post-punk music. And the guitar has to weave its own pattern around the bass guitars. Guitars also sound angular. Within this genre, it has a cold and melancholic tone to it and let's not forget the importance of atmosphere and the focus on more serious subject matter. Vocals are also cold, menacing, and monotonous. Some post-punk is not meant for the weak of heart, so you have been warned. Also, it's very easy to mix up post-punk and art-punk groups and albums from this era. A lot of art-punk groups did sound like these post-punk bands I'm going to be talking about today, but also they sounded a lot like New Wave as well. So I'm just sticking to the bands and albums that sound like what I just described. So no Talking Heads and no Devo. Sorry. And with that, let's get into my list. At number one, we have Unknown Pleasures by Joy Division released in 1979. And what better way to start this list than with the infamous t-shirt album? Honestly, I feel like this design the design on the cover and on the shirt is more or just as famous as the music itself this is joy division's first full-length record and the lineup consisted of Stephen morris on drums peter hook on bass and backing vocals bernard sumner on guitar and keyboards and ian curtis as the vocalist joy division was formed in the summer of 1977 under the name warsaw inspired by david bowie's song, or Sawzaw, from Low, released in the same year. They changed their name to Joy Division in early 1978 to avoid confusion with another punk group at the time named Warsaw Pact. Joy Division's music can be described as dark and sinister, and that can kind of be attributed to Ian Curtis as he hanged himself in his kitchen due to his battle with depression before their second album, Closer, released in 1980. And ever since then, Curtis's suicide just loomed over Joy Division like a dark cloud. But even before then, their music came off this way. And what can you expect from a group that named themselves after a sex slavery wing of a Nazi concentration group? Yeah, they weren't fucking around. Another factor into... The sound of this band was Mark Hannett's production style. He liked to emphasize space, he used a lot of unusual sound effects, and he used delays as well. This gives the music this eerie atmosphere you hear throughout the album. On the song Insight, Ian's vocals are recorded down a phone line so Hannet could achieve the distance in Ian's vocals that is heard on that song. Hannett even went on to say that it was great working with the band because they didn't argue with his choices and they didn't know how studio recording really worked. They were just so new to the game. Then you have a track like Day of the Lords which is a highlight for me as it is bone chilling with the bass guitar ringing out into the space and Ian's vocals swallowed up by that same space. While I do love the desolate atmospheres on a lot of these songs, I also find myself enjoying the upbeat and groovier rhythms of songs like Disorder and Inner Zone. If you're not used to the slow-moving, creeping feeling of most of this record, then these songs will be a bit easier to listen to. Then we have a song like She's Lost Control, which is probably the darkest song on the record, as Ian Curtis's lyrics are about epilepsy, which reflects his own experience. His voice lacks emotion, the bass guitar is detached, and the keyboards are robotic and icy. Another very disturbing song here. If you liked this song, I recommend the single version or the version you might find on the Substance compilation, as I think that version is a bit darker than the one here as Ian's vocals reverberate and the drums and the bass are a bit more aggressive. Honestly, I tried not to talk about this album as much as I could because I think you should experience this album for yourself if you haven't already. Such a brilliant record, such a brilliant band, honestly. Go listen to it as soon as you can if you haven't already and you might love it as much as I did. You know, I I tried to not talk about it as much, but I love it so much that I had to give some of my opinions on some of these songs here. At number two, we have Chairs Missing by Wire, released in 1978. This is the second full-length studio album from this London group. We have Colin Newman on vocals and guitars, Bruce Gilbert on guitar, Graham Lewis on bass, guitar, and Robert Gray on drums. The album they released prior to this one, Pink Flag, featured minimalist and this raw punk attitude of other punk artists that preceded them. And that is still found on some of the songs here, but on Chairs Missing, they take a darker and even... uh, a more surreal approach to the music. This shift is demonstrated right from the get-go on the opening track, Practice Makes Perfect, with its foreboding bass line, the slow buildup of the guitar, the chilling background sound effects, and Newman's sinister delivery of the Waiting For Us line at the end of the song. The surrealness of this record comes from their use of whirling synths like on a song like um, Another The Letter, or the guitar fuzz that roars and envelops the track on many of these songs. The band also pulls off this uneasy feeling here, and I think that's because the term chairs missing refers to a British slang used for someone who is disturbed, and a lot of these songs come off that way, come off very uneasy, very disturbed. Practice Makes Perfect is a great example. The way that Newman's vocal delivery can switch between full of energy on one track to this quiet and whispery delivery on another is also jarring and indicative of the record's mood. You know, we have a track like I Am The Fly, which has a metallic guitar riff that rings out at the beginning and another guitar melody that's more whimsical. But then again, you have these sing-along and harmonious vocal melodies with the clap-along part in the background. And I don't know whether to sing and clap along or find the guitar riff jarring and creepy. It's a mix of moods and styles that shouldn't mesh well, but they end up pulling it off here. We have another surreal track like the feverish I Feel Mysterious Today, which has lyrics that reference mischievousness and this circling, roaring guitar during the hook and let's not forget those woozy back and forth ooh-like vocals at the end. Then you have a mellowed out song like Heartbeat, which has Newman whispering and a calmer and quieter guitar and drum playing, or Newman's whispering again on Marooned accompanied by icy synths and distorted guitars. While these songs are a bit more still than the other anxious and aggressive tracks here, they still have this darkness to them, as the lyrics on Heartbeat refer to a feeling of coldness and sublimity. And I interpreted this as his heart slowing down, which makes him feel colder and then brings on this sublime feeling like he's dying. The line, Is there something there behind me? adds a bit of paranoia to the song as well. And Marooned talks about a sailor lost at sea slowly losing his mind. Another song that has some pretty heavy subject matter is the dizzying Another the Letter. And I think the synths work well on this song as the narrator receives a life-changing letter that is revealed to us to be a suicide note by the end of the track. I also love how when the song hits us with that, the synths and the stunted guitar riff just abruptly stops. It's like a period at the end of a sentence. It's some really good shit. I think one of the most interesting songs here is Outdoor Minor, and it's not because of unique instrumentation or dark lyrics, although there is this unknown element to the story of this song. Uh, but it's because of the verse, chorus, verse structure, and the gentle sing along vocals. It's probably the easiest listen you'll have on this record it's an outlier in an album filled with darkness and deception and all i do is wonder how did this song end up on this record if you loved this record listen to wire's other albums around this time like pink flag and 154 just masterful works of punk and art punk and post-punk and number three we have entertainment by gang of four released in 1979 gang of four is another uk band and it consists of vocalist John King, guitarist Andy Gill, drummer Hugo Burnham, and bass guitarist David Allen. This is the lineup for this record. What I love about Gang of Four is their ethos and their very combative playing style. Guitarist Andy Gill, which rest in peace, he passed away earlier this year, had a way of attacking his guitar to make it sound metallic and aggressive. This can be heard on songs like "Ether," Guns Before Butter, and Contract to name a few. And when I say ethos, I mean they have a way of critiquing modern life and ideologies in their lyrics that resonate with me. Take, for instance, Not Great Man, which is a great groove with its funky bass and jagged guitars. On first listen, it's a great danceable punk song. But delving into the lyrics, you'll find a critique on the Great Man Theory, which states that history is shaped by powerful individuals, mostly men. They also critique love and relationships on Anthrax and Naturals on In It, the anxiety and stress of everyday life on At Home He's a Tourist. They take some well-deserved shots at politicians on I Found That Essence Rare. Nothing really escapes their criticism on this record. I love this for the sole reason that it offers something different in subject matter in in the lyrics than any of the other records we heard so far. I love how they critique the commodification of love and sex on Naturals on In It, It's something that is very personal to a lot of people, yet corporations are treating it as it's something to sell you, and it's kind of disgusting. And now I'm just thinking of how awful Tinder and Bumble are as apps, and how those apps try to sell you their premium subscriptions for for benefits. And there's loads of these commentaries throughout the album, but I really do find the music just as interesting on this record. I love how the guitars cut through the rumbling bass on damaged goods. The song develops into a groovy bassline with an upbeat and disjointed guitar melody. Amongst the clanging of the guitar, the bass, and the monotone vocal harmony is his stunted drum pattern on Guns Before Butter. This is such a great album to return to because you will find something new in the music or the lyrics every time you revisit it. An excellent post-punk record. At number four, we have Second Edition by Public Image Limited, released in 1979. This is also known as Metal Box, but when it was reissued in 1980, the more common version of this record was called Second Edition, and it swapped the 6th and 10th tracks in the track listing. Public Image Limited was formed following the breakup of notorious punk band Sex Pistols. They released their first full-length LP in 1978, and is cited as one of, if not the first post-punk band. Their second LP, this, this LP, is a challenging listen, clouded by a bleak and dismal atmosphere. This record is 60 minutes long, with the first song, Albatross, clocking in at about 11 minutes long. And man, what an opener. We are greeted by vocalist John Lydon's ghastly delivery mixed with atonal guitars that screech along with the drums and bass guitars. You find this very uneasy feeling throughout the track, especially Lydon's creepy repeated line, I Know You Very Well. It's an effective way to creep out your listener at the very beginning, so A plus for that. Guitarist Keith Levine, bassist Jaw Wobble, and drummer David Humphrey have cited that they've made the song up as they went along, as well as Leiden's lyrics, which were also formed on the spot. It might also surprise you to know that this song was recorded in one take, and these guys are fucking madmen, but this wasn't their intention, as around this time in the band's career, they barely had enough money to afford time in a recording studio, and they snuck into studios uh, late at night to record once everyone else went home. So a lot of this record is improvised, which, if you ask me, is really impressive considering how many of these songs sound fleshed out and fully realized like they were written before. But... I was wrong. Getting back to the music, the record is really front-loaded with its best songs. Pop Tones, according to Leiden, is a song that was inspired by a real story of a woman getting kidnapped, sexually assaulted, and left in the woods by a gang of men. While she couldn't see their faces, she recognized their voices and an unusual tune that was repeated on their car radio, and because of her descriptions, the police were able to identify them. It also features these creeping guitars that get under your skin and Leiden's sinister delivery, which makes for one of the album's most eerie and uncomfortable songs. Careering has these swelling, ominous scents, a daunting bassline and drumbeat with sound effects that sound like gunfire. And it makes sense because this song is about a gunman in Northern Ireland who is careering as a businessman in London. And then we have Swan Lake, which was written for Leiden's dying mother as she wanted a disco song played at her funeral. This is also why the track was initially titled Death Disco. The guitar on this track is wavering and the synths lurch out at you unexpectedly near the end. It is a track that keeps you on your toes and presents you with this eclectic arrangement. Leiden's vocal delivery here is emotional and turbulent and that's what makes it so effective here given the situation it was written for. Hearing him cry out, Words Cannot Express at the end of the track is really heartbreaking. One of the best songs here. We also have little nuggets of just amazement throughout the record, like the dissonant chords on Graveyard, ja Wobble's bass playing on songs like Socialist Snowbirds and even Swan Lake. Not to mention Lighten's creepy high-pitched vocals on Bad Baby and the end of Albatross. Bone-chilling stuff. If you liked this record, I suggest you check out their debut LP, First Issue. That is a great record as well. Love it. And now for the last item on my list, number five, The Modern Dance by Pere Ubu, released in 1978. This is the debut record from this Cleveland punk band. Pere Ubu was formed in 1975 after another Cleveland ba- punk band, Rocket from the Tombs, was disbanded. The vocalist from Rocket, David Thomas, along with guitarist Peter Laffner, recruited another guitarist, Tom Herman, bass guitarist Tim Wright, drummer Scott Krauss, and synthesist Alan Ravenstein, And thus, Per Ubu was born. The Modern Dance was recorded between October of 1976 through November of 1977, with some complications to the band's roster. Tim Wright left the band to join DNA. He's credited as the bass guitarist player on the self-titled track and on Sentimental Journey on this record. Tony Maimoin, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, I'm sorry, was signed on as the bassist right after Right Left. And Peter Lafner left the band after the first two singles were released due to pancreatic issues, which he passed away from soon afterwards. So some unfortunate occurrences took place within the band before they could release their first full-length LP, but when they did, man, they released something extraordinary. First starters, It is a bit difficult to label this record genre. It has that raw and anxious quality that the previous albums in this list has, but Per Ubu is a bit more idiosyncratic, and I would even classify them as avant-garde for a lot of these tracks. I mean, you have Ravenstein's synth plane, which leans more towards harsh ear-splitting noise. I was taken aback when the first track, Non-Alignment Pact, started with this jarring high-frequency tone in the right channel, I didn't expect that, especially when the rest of the song takes on this Chuck Berry quality to it. While we're on non-alignment pack, let's point out Thomas's vocal delivery because he's unlike any other post-punk frontman on this list. His singing style takes on this erratic and wild quality as it moves up and down. You can also hear stuttering and voice cracks and yelping in his voice. His voice is also very nasally and with All of these ingredients combined together, you have one of post punk's most distinguishable vocalists. Very different from the bleak and monotonous singers of Joy Division and Public Image. And while we're on Thomas, let's talk about the instrument that he plays, which is the piccolo oboe or the musette, which has this high pitched and squeaky quality to it. And to hear this instrument on a post punk record is a bit odd, to say the least. So we have harsh ear splitting synths, we have a distinguishable voice in David Thomas. And we have a frickin' horn section, so let's just get to the music now. For the most part, the first side presents us with the straightforward rock and roll songs with some twists. Street Waves has a tried and true chord progression with the bass guitar and drums comprising the rhythm and a guitar solo worked into the song. But we start to notice something strange when we hear this shrieking sound effect at the beginning of the song. Then halfway through the song, everything breaks away and the shrieking becomes this ominous drone and creates this haunting atmosphere. With the third track laughing, we are starting to see more of this avant-garde experimentation that Thomas creates as it starts with this frenzy of the musette and a free jam of guitars and drums before erupting into this more energetic boogie with a piano melody. Life Stinks is actually credited to Lafner, and probably the most post-punk song here. The bass and drums act as the backbone of the song while the guitars interweave through the composition, but then Thomas's erratic delivery throws that all off. The musette playing also comes in and causes more disarray. Chinese Radiation is an interesting track. It's this neurotic shuffle that starts with a laid-back guitar melody with icy synth effects worked into the melody. Then that turns into a propelling drum rhythm with an audience cheering sound effect added to it. And then that finally turns into silence with the only real instrument playing are the disjointed drums in this melodramatic piano. There's just so much happening in this record. It's hard to keep up with, but it's also quite the exciting journey. Finally, we have Sentimental Journey, speaking of which, which is the ultimate avant-garde display on the record as guitar chords are repeated, we have these dissonant horns, the airy whispered vocals, and the sound effect of glass breaking. It's a loose and chaotic display that's made more anarchic once the frantic drumming kicks in. Truly a wild ride of a track. I did struggle to put this on the list since there's more of a focus on experimentation and could be defined as experimental or art rock, but I wanted to show the links that some of these post-punk artists went to to experiment with a listener's notion of what punk was, and that's what post-punk is all about. And with that, that concludes my list of essential post-punk albums. To recap, we have Unknown Pleasures by Joy Division, Chairs Missing by Wire, Entertainment by Gang of Four, second edition or metal box by public image limited and the modern dance by Pere Ubu. What did you think of this list? Do you think I might've missed something? Would you take one of these albums out and put in another? Let me know on Twitter at sound encounters. You can also send me a voice message on anchor.fm forward slash sound encounters. What's your favorite post-punk record on this list, or what's your favorite post-punk record of all time? Let me know. Let me know. And that has been Post Punk. Well, that does it for this uh, first rerun. A little exciting, kind of cringy hearing how I talked back then or how I talked about music I feel like I'm, I'm still learning how to talk about music and and just hearing back or hearing past me talk about music is even even if it was just a couple months ago right I'm like saying this as if it was like two years ago or something but no this is like a couple months ago but um it, it gives me a lot to look back on and it gives me a lot to improve on myself so, uh here's something beneficial for me about these reruns I guess but I'll be airing another rerun next week Make sure to follow the Sound Encounters Twitter and Instagram pages to get updates to see what I'm talking about in terms of music. Sometimes I post memes, so that's always exciting. But yes, if you want those updates, if you want just to check up to see how I'm doing, follow the Sound Encounters Twitter and Instagram pages at Sound Encounters. Not sure what the next rerun is, but I'm sure I'll figure that out soon. And I also want it to be a surprise, you know? maybe uh maybe you guys have some suggestions i feel like i know what the next rerun is but if you have a suggestion for a, a rerun you want to hear make sure to go to anchor.fm forward slash sound encounters or sound encounters.com and leave a little voice message for me uh, there should be a link in the podcast description that'll take you to where you need to go to record that voice message and and you know while we're at it why don't you tell me what are some of your favorite post-punk albums did i leave out any albums that you feel are essential or deem as essential um i know i kind of like struggled with my list especially like the last pick which was i think i filled with mo- the modern dance by uh per Ubu but yes please let me know your thoughts and opinions anchor.fm4 sound encounters or sound A link in the podcast description let me know what you think and i'll see you next week on sound encounters rerun